Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to John chapter 14. In chapters 14 to 16, we're dealing with what scholars usually call the farewell discourse. It probably takes place right after the Passover meal, probably still in the upper room before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. As the title suggests, this discourse was about preparing the disciples for life after Jesus. They didn't understand it all that well because they didn't know that there would be life after Jesus, but Jesus knew And so Jesus taught them many things that they would need to know later. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. These are the words that I most often read to people who are sick and dying in the hospital. These are good words to work through with a person who's about to leave this earth. They bring comfort to believers, obviously, and they give you a chance to review the means by which we are saved. You can ask a person, friend, do you know where you are going when you leave this life? If they say, yes, I'm going to the place prepared for me in heaven, then you can say, have you then gone through the door of Christ? Have you trusted in him as your Lord and Savior? Have you believed what he said about God and about himself and about you as a sinner and about how you can be reconciled to God through the cross? If your friend answers positively, then you can pray with him or her as the Lord leads. If they have any questions, you can speak about those things in order to clarify or reassure their faith as necessary. Remind them of what Jesus said in John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There is no way to God except that we pass through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the wicked gate. If we pass through him in faith, if we are in him through faith, then we are on the road to the celestial city. Comfort and encourage your sick and dying people with this passage. Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. One of John's major concerns is to show us that Jesus is the perfect self-revelation of God to men. He is the Word of God in the flesh. And yet one of John's other chief concerns is to show us how hard it was for people to understand that even those people closest to Jesus. And so Jesus here calls for further meditation. Think about the words I've said and the things that I've done. Think about what the multiplication of the loaves was really all about. Think think about the walking on the water. Think about Lazarus being raised from the dead. What do you think all of that means? What do you think it is saying about who I am? am and what I have come to do. That's what Jesus is telling them to do. That's good advice for them as well as for us. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is a very exciting promise, but it needs to be read carefully and claimed with discernment. In order to get at what Jesus is promising here, we need to begin by remembering how John has used the word works as in the works that I do. We sometimes assume here that Jesus is just talking about miracles, But John has applied that term to many other things as well, such as the evangelization of the Samaritan village, his teaching ministry in general, and his entire earthly ministry, as for example in John 5.36. So what Jesus seems to be saying here is that his disciples will repeat and enlarge upon his entire ministry because he is going to the Father. So, This repetition and enlargement is due to the coming gift of the Holy Spirit. It is further associated with the power of prayer, as per verse 14, and it is all so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if we put all that together, Jesus seems to be saying that the church will reproduce in some sense and enlarge upon in some sense the ministry of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the ministry of prayer such that God will be glorified in the Son. Now, the confusion hinges around the idea of the work of the church being greater than the work of Jesus. How can that be? Well, again, if you're just thinking in terms of miracles, if you have a too narrow understanding of works, then that would be hard to understand. Jesus did some miracles that history does not seem to record as having been repeated by the church. I'm not aware of anyone who had a ministry of raising the dead to life or walking on water or multiplying loaves. So if you have a too narrow definition of works, then you have a problem with this verse. But if you have a more comprehensive understanding of works, then I think the meaning is more accessible. The actual impact of Jesus during his earthly ministry was somewhat limited because of the general confusion and darkness of the time. Whereas after the gift of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of Christ's revelation through his death and resurrection, the circumstances were greatly changed and the progress of the work was greatly amplified. 
That is how many scholars understand the saying. So D.A. Carson says, for example, here, in short, the works that the disciples perform after the resurrection are greater than those done by Jesus before his death insofar as the former belong to an age of clarity and power introduced by Jesus' sacrifice and exaltation. Both Jesus' words and his deeds were somewhat veiled during the days of his flesh. Even his closest followers, as the foregoing verses make clear, grasped only part of what he was saying. The signs and works Jesus performed during his ministry could not fully accomplish their true end until after Jesus had risen from the dead and been exalted, closed quote. That is undeniably true, and that seems to be the point that Jesus is making. He is saying that by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of the definitive statement made through the cross and the empty tomb, the impact of the church will exceed even the impact that Jesus had during his earthly ministry. Thanks be to God. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, let's just notice here that At a couple of points in this chapter, Jesus tells us what his love language is. He he doesn't say, if you love me, you will raise both hands when you sing in church. Now, you can do that, and maybe you should do that. I'm just pointing out that Jesus says that his love language is obedience, and I think there is great merit in noticing that. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The farewell discourse is a treasure trove of insights when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Here we see that he is called another helper, or some of your Bibles might have another counselor. Either one is fine. The idea is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside with strength and encouragement. We used to call him the comforter because that word in English used to mean to come alongside with strength, with forte. But it doesn't mean that anymore, so another helper is probably best. That he is another reminds us that Jesus is our primary or our first helper, The Spirit stands in for Jesus, as it were, during this time when Jesus is physically present in heaven and we are down here on the earth. He is the Spirit of truth, we are told, in that he will dwell within us and in tandem with the written scriptures will help us know and affirm that which is truly from God. We sometimes call this the ministry of illumination. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus seems here to be speaking about his death and resurrection. He will be gone, and then come back to them. And this will settle in their minds that he is one with the Father. But Of course, in another sense, it applies to his ascension and eventual return. So there is a primary meaning here, and there's probably a secondary meaning as well. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. There's that love language again. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, 
How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, this most immediately applies to the disciples. The Holy Spirit will help them remember and flesh out all the implications of the things that Jesus has said. So let's just notice again the fallacy of the red-letter argument. There is no access to Jesus that bypasses the disciples. We are reading the Gospel of John. He wrote these red letters and the black ones in between. All we have are the apostolic memories and interpretations of Jesus Christ, and that apparently is how he wanted it. The disciples record what Jesus did and said, and they interpret and apply it. That is the raw material of Christianity. Like it or lump it. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. See, the peace that Jesus gives is ultimate peace, explicitly not as the world gives. The world gives temporary peace and illusory peace. They're the ones who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They're the ones who downplay the reality and effect of sin and who scoff at the bloodiness and ugliness of redemption, but in the end, their peace is not peace peace of Jesus, which turns out to be a bloody and costly peace, is forever. Verse 27 goes on to say, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, by the way, just notice here that apparently... Obedience is the love language of the Father as well. Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Nothing speaks love better than obedience. Now, there's a clause in this paragraph this paragraph above that causes distress to some people. Jesus says that the Father is greater than I. What in the world does that mean? Now, it seems unlikely here that Jesus is making a complex statement about the inner workings of the Godhead. Rather, it seems that he is saying more or less what he said already in John chapter 13, verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The Father is the one who sent the Son. Therefore, in that sense, he is greater. The Son is the one who obeys. And the Father is the one who sends. Colin Cruz, for example, says, As the sent one, Jesus could say the Father who sent him was greater than he was. But later he would ask to be restored 
to the full glory he had with the Father before the world began. Jesus is showing his love for the Father by obeying the commission of the Father. He will obey it perfectly, and then he will return to the glory that he had before the world began. He will go first, and he will show us the way. Thanks be to God. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Into the Word.